0: Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info.
1: It is 2.06 on Tuesday afternoon. We're very glad to have all of you with us here for a live political rewind. Um... We are, you know, this is the beginning of our two-show-a-day schedule, and as we've been very candid in saying, we're, we're going to, for the most part, uh, if, if you listen to us at 9 in the morning, uh, the 2 o'clock show is going to be a, a repeat of that. But we know yet we have very different audiences at 9 and 2, so the 9 o'clock show, for the most part, be live. 2 o'clock will be a rebroadcast. Not today. <laughs> <laughs> because today we have been really uh, f- following with great interest, as many of you out there are, in uh, to see when Iowa is going to report in. It's been a debacle, I don't think is an understatement. Uh, we'll talk about what happened in Iowa last night, why the result totals weren't in. The headline now is that the Iowa Democratic Party chair, uh, Troy Davis, had a phone call with the presidential campaigns at noon and at that point he said to them we are going to report but this is a key word partial results at five o'clock this afternoon elizabeth warren immediately in in new hampshire said to a reporter why are they going to release partial results why don't they wait until they have the whole thing that's the setup for our conversation as we start the show this afternoon um here in the studio and i can't tell you how grateful I am. They were both able to arrange their schedules to be here. Kevin Riley, the editor of the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Thank you, Kevin, for coming in at the last minute to help us understand what the heck is going on in Iowa.
2: You know, it is great to be here. But I have to tell you, I was listening this morning. Yeah, and uh, I, uh, I heard Greg Bluestein, a reporter who was in Iowa, yep. and then uh, uh, now we're here and. We don't know. A heck we don't of know a lot anything more, more yeah. than we knew. knew so yeah, nine.
1: yeah. Uh, Jim Galloway, uh, the lead political writer for the AJC. You too. I'm very grateful you could find your way in here to do the show today, Jim.
3: Yeah, this is uh, uh, this is kind of stunning. It's it is almost like a a mulligan, a a, yeah.
1: a, a multi-million dollar <laughs> mulligan yeah. for all these candidates. Yeah. So in other words. President Trump would understand exactly what's happening in the context. <laughs> he is, in yeah, he's apparently well known for taking <laughs> Mulligans. <laughs> no, no, <yeah>. no. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's a long day for all of us because of that. But that's why we love what we do. Um, election days are supposed to be days in which you get very little sleep, right? <laughs>
3: Yeah, but but you, you like to, to, to you like to have something in your hand at the end of the day, all right? All something, right. a finished, <laughs> polished piece of work, a yeah. good lead that says who who did well, who did who didn't. Yeah, and we've got none of that, and yeah. and and
1: the campaign for New Hampshire is already underway. So They're all there. Um, you know who's not in New Hampshire at this point? Chris Grant the chair of the political science department at Mercer University in Macon. Uh, uh, Chris is with us by phone. Uh, Chris, you had a group of students that you brought with you uh, from Mercer to uh, fan out and watch the caucus process uh, uh, come together, right?
4: Well, they, they didn't just watch it. Some they participated. We yeah. had a couple of students that were Klobuchar precinct captains, and um, we had folks canvassing for Warren down in the Bridges of Madison County yesterday, Hmm. and um, we've been all over the state. um, Yeah,
1: you were in Winterset.
4: And also doing some volunteer work.
1: So what I'd really love for you to do, because you mentioned this before we went on the air, please tell our listeners um, where you are. You're (coughs) literally in sight of the state, Iowa State Democratic Party headquarters. Is that right?
4: If I I curl my neck just enough, I can sort of see... (laughs) The edges of it. We're in an a, a abandoned motel parking lot oh, at the end great. of the runway at the Des Moines Airport.
1: <laughs> and, and what's the scene around the state party headquarters look like?
4: There's a lot of cameras there. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of live shots waiting. Um, and the doors seem to be kind of battened down. And um, I don't think they're real interested in anybody getting in or well, anybody getting out. <laughs>
1: Let me, before we uh, begin uh, our whole panel conversation, let me just to ask you, you were in Winterset. You talk about Bridges of Madison right. County. I was. Yeah, I've been there. It's an interesting town, and I've, I've spent some time there as well. But yep. you were at a caucus at, what was the, where was it? Was it a school? Was it a community it at, center? What was it? It
4: was, it was at the gym of the Winterset Middle School. The okay. um, lunchroom was also a caucus site for a different precinct uh, down in Madison County. There's nine precincts in Madison County. And two of them were caucusing at the middle school.
1: And how many were caucusing in your location in the school?
4: There were 130 people. That mm-hmm. um, meant that you had to get uh, 20 votes to be viable.
1: And 20 folks sitting with you. And because we haven't heard results from the Iowa Party, I'll ask you the same <laughs> thing I asked Bluestein, <laughs> which is: you're, you were on the ground. What were the results in your precinct? <laughs> at, at the precinct I observed,
4: we saw. Uh, the first round, 37 um, of votes for Mayor Pete Buttigieg, 25 votes for Senator Elizabeth Warren, and about—originally, uh, there were about 22 folks sitting for Senator Sanders.
1: So and are, are all three of them viable or only the top— All the, three of them were viable. Okay, but not um, Joe Biden. And,
4: but, and, but the undecideds, by the time they got to the first, first official count, the undecideds had moved over with Joe Biden. And he was viable, oh. and two of the two of the Warren folks moved over with Klobuchar folks, so they were one shy of being viable. And they finally got a Yang supporter to move over with Klobuchar, so she would have um, enough to be viable in that
1: first count. So, um, Jim and Kevin, I, you know, it, Jim, as you mentioned, the candidates have already moved on. To New Hampshire, I just saw an interview with Elizabeth Warren. Uh, she's doing a town meeting tonight at a movie theater in Keene, which is in uh, basically west of, it's kind of between Nashua and Manchester, but but west of both of those towns. Um, Bernie Sanders was on an airplane getting set to uh, 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 start campaigning and doing an interview on the plane right. with reporters. I haven't seen the others. Well, no, I saw Klobuchar, as a matter of fact well into the campaign and early this morning i saw joe biden get get uh into a car at the manchester airport so you know we're
4: doing five events in new hampshire today
1: yes yes exactly Buttigieg judge came in fa- you know so let's talk a little bit about what happened last night uh, uh jim kevin uh and chris um first of all why don't we do this can we listen to a montage of the voices of, uh, of the candidates who were all set in their various locations to declare victory, to declare almost victory, to say, I think maybe it's time to get out of this race, whatever they were going to do. Uh, but because we had no results at all, they all spun it the way they felt it was important to do so. The first voice you'll hear is Pete Buttigieg, who, Jim, Decided that in the absence of any data whatsoever, he'd declare himself the winner. Yeah, yeah, I, I, thought, I thought that was highly imaginative. <laughs> yeah, let's listen to uh, the folks uh, in Iowa.
3: But we know by the time it's all said and done, Iowa, you have sh. So we don't know all the results. But
1: we know by the time it's all said and done, Iowa, you have shocked the nation. you probably
0: heard we don't know the results. <laughs> we know there's delays, but we know one thing. We are punching above our weight.
1: I imagine, have a strong feeling that at some point, the
3: results will be announced. And
2: when those results are announced, I have a good feeling we're going
1: to be doing very, very well here in Iowa.
0: Thank you so much. So listen, it is too close to call, so I'm just going to tell you what I do know. You won!
1: <laughs> we're going to walk out of here with uh, our share of delegates. We don't know exactly what it is yet, but we feel good about where we are. And look, so so it's on to New Hampshire. South Carolina, well beyond. We're in this for the long haul. So, uh, if you are not familiar with just hearing the voices, of course, it was Buttigieg first, Klobuchar second, Sanders, uh, followed by Warren, and then finally, Uh, Biden. It's appropriate that Biden was the last one we played because there are some some um, indications out there that he did not have a good night. Well, here's here's, there is one number floating out there that we
3: know for certain that is is out there that one hundred and seventy thousand Democrats participated last night far below yeah. the 2008 level of 240,000 uh that that sent uh, Barack Obama on his way yeah, that's really that, an important uh, point that, that's an important point uh it it, it kind of speaks to uh, Donald Trump's 9% uh, uh victory over there in 2016 and the fact that maybe you have these these people that Joe, Joe Biden has been reaching out to they just weren't willing to show show their faces
1: uh Kevin right.
4: I would, I, would add, I would add in something there. Um, Buttigieg does have data. Um, it's not the official data, but every one of his precinct captains will have called back the numbers from their precinct right. to the campaign headquarters. Right. And what I've heard, and we, we saw actually at the three caucuses that we had observers in, it was surprising for him, and that he may have won, and Bernie probably came in
1: second. You mean you um, think that Buttigieg may have won... The whole. There's a good chance of it. We're just finished. That's why they're talking about it being shocking. Okay. And
4: and the big loser last night is that Pete Buttigieg didn't walk out onto the stage and say, you know, we came in a second place or a first place, because that would have changed the momentum dynamics of the race.
2: Kevin, well, listening to those sound clips, it would be a little bit like uh, you know trying to cover the Atlanta Braves without reporting the final score and letting every player talk about what great thing they did during the game so it sort of shows that that is the problem and and depending on when this comes out i mean again the way news cycles work now i don't know if people a lot of people will even pay attention
1: yeah it's going to be interesting yep. i'm i'm interested in the in kevin in the fact that um You know the the by what what uh, Galloway said that and even Sanders in this news conference he had aboard his uh, airplane said uh, he reported we had about the turnout and he said you know we did well but we didn't have the turnout we had hoped to have so even Sanders is acknowledging that uh, that what we all thought was going to happen record turnout more people more interested than ever before. It didn't turn out to be true well there's nobody who
2: doesn't think that Democrats have to turn out lots of voters I mean anyone in Georgia who believes the Democrats will have a chance here will say that and if they're going to be Trump they just have to be able to do that
1: Kevin what was the energy I'm sorry Chris what was the energy like uh, in in your building where you had a couple of different pe- caucuses meeting in different rooms yeah
4: it was interesting um, uh, my contact there is a Warren um, caucus um, precinct um, organizer. And her people were there. They were committed. There weren't a lot of them, but they were very committed. just um, had a big group. Um, I actually talked to the precinct chair who was running the Biden um, group, and um, she knew that I was connected to the Warren campaign. So, you know, I like Elizabeth Warren. I really do. But I just don't think she's had enough experience. You know, she's just a bit young. She's <laughs> 70. <laughs> and so... I think the Biden folks really um, just sort of are missing their target. Uh, and, and, and the group that was Biden supporters were all kind of in the 60, 70, 80-year-old range. The young folks were either with Buttigieg or Yang or Sanders, um, which was really interesting to see. Um, and all the Yang supporters, and because Yang wasn't viable ultimately, moved over to Sanders and I think that well, all but I should say two of them did not, but eight of them did. Um, and I think that's something that happened across the state. And I was at a Bernie rally on Sunday, and he was saying that they had to have a big turnout. Um, at least that's what their indicators internals were telling them. And um, I think the Warren people were very happy last night at their their event, and um, uh, Klobuchar people seemed to be very happy about their results too. Um, so I think that the folks that would have gotten some media bo- boost may have been certainly booted to if he won. Even if he came in a strong second, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and Warren may have either tied or come right around where Bernie was. So, so that's so a
1: big deal. The, Jim, the interesting thing about this, yes, it is a big deal if all that happens the way that uh, Chris uh, believes it will. Uh, the interesting thing is there was no winnowing. Of the field last night, as we often expect in Iowa. No, no there, there was
3: uh, uh, there was no boost for the for the victor as, exactly. as, as Chris was pointing out, but there was no penalty
2: for losing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that was that's that that's just as important. Yeah, who important, do I you think. think that helps the most, Jim? The fact that I mean, if Biden did poorly, if... I think I think Biden and Klobuchar. I I think it keeps uh, them around. It keeps them going to the places where they'll be stronger, right? I mean,
1: well, it strikes me, uh, Jim, that it's particularly uh, in terms of winnowing the field, narrowing the field. um, You know, most of these people may very well have gone on anyway. Um, But it's especially important because ahead of New Hampshire, we'll have two nights of CNN town meetings with all the Democratic candidates. So even if you had a poorer showing, uh, last night, if, if you were um, really in the lowest tier, y- you have reason to stick around because you're going to get some free, some we we call like to call earned media. <laughs> earned, earned media, and
3: and and I'll tell you who, uh, another candidate who I think won last night was Michael Bloomberg. Yeah, because because the the, the official start of the of the Democratic winnowing got put off uh, a little bit closer to his target date of Super Tuesday.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Um, Chris, we don't have numbers. I'm going to start with you, and then I want to bring everybody in on this. Obviously, we don't have the official numbers, uh, nor do we – oh, look at this. We're looking at a monitor which is showing us a headline from one of the cable channels, reports that Bloomberg is about to double his ad spending (laughs) after the (laughs) Iowa debacle. That's the the headline right now. (laughs) I mean – you know, we're getting to the point where he's just going to spend every single pin, everybody into the ground the way things are going. Yeah.
4: Well, and the thing, too, is it's expensive to do this out here. Yeah. Um, I mean, we could talk sometime about the long term implications trial the talk caucus about, out here. But Elizabeth Warren had organizers in every county, she hired everybody she could. She spent a lot of money yeah. here. Right, and let she me, may have done well, and she might not have. We don't know. Let and me. That, that's the loss for the
1: campaign, Kevin. We don't because we don't have official totals. Let's look at the entrance. Some of the entrance polling uh, data. You know, of course, we're used to hearing exit polling uh, from primary states. In Iowa, the uh, networks do it uh, the opposite way. They talk people on the way in. So here's a couple of things from uh, the ABC report on their entrance polling. Participants by a 61 to 37 percent margin said they'd rather see the party nomine- nominate a candidate with the best chances of winning in November over the one who agrees with you on most major issues. But Biden, who has campaigned on the ability to win, only split that electability vote with Buttigieg. I mean, that's significant in and of itself. That's it. That's Biden's entire message. Pick me because I'm the one who can beat Donald Trump. And if he's only splitting the voters who believe that's the most important uh, uh, attribute, that's not a good sign for him.
2: Right. I mean, it it does mean, right, that Buttigieg is occupying that moderate space. It, It has a bigger footprint there than than. I think a lot of people thought he did. Yeah, you know,
3: I'm, I'm, uh, uh, Bill, I hate to ask a question that sure. I don't know the answer to. Fine. Uh but uh, But uh, is was there an impeachment question on there? Because I, I would really like to know how how what hap- happened in D.C. over these last three weeks impacted Biden uh, in Iowa.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I have not seen an impeachment question on any. Now there may have I, been. A, yeah, go ahead, Chris. Do you know yeah, about?
4: I'll it? just say I was at a Biden event on Saturday, and. Vibrant would not be the word I would use to describe it. Um, Again, it's skewed much older than most other campaign events do. Um, What was interesting is we were watching them put together the backdrop, the people that would stand behind Biden or sit behind Biden. Uh, Two-thirds of the group were men. um, One-third were women. Uh, Two of our students were picked for the group. uh, And and my colleague and I said, yeah, that's because they look like young union workers. Um, That was the only face of color in that whole group, and I think that that tells you what the campaign is looking for in order to connect people, and I don't think it did a very
1: good job. So um, here's some other figures from the the entrance poll. Among those who cared more about their candidate fitting where they stand on the issues, Sanders won 36 percent, Buttigieg 21, Biden 5 percent. So he at least among Iowa Democrats, is out of step with where they are on the issues. Biden also suffered at the hands of younger voters. Among those under age 45, He and this isn't surprising, he won only 4% compared with Sanders, 41%. 21 for Buttigieg I suppose you could argue Jim that Sanders 41% isn't as high as it ought to be given that we know his army is largely made up of younger voters and, and
2: last last time in Iowa he really got all those
1: young people I think the, the this goes on to point that out but the senior citizens you know people my age they like Joe Biden they they gave him 20 or 33% of their support, yeah, but
3: more of them. More of them participated in the Republican caucus last yes, night. Yes, that's
1: right. That's a really interesting uh, point. Um, ideologically, sixty-eight percent of caucus goers identified themselves as liberal, which matches a record in the entrance polls back from back in two thousand sixteen. Sanders, no surprise, won liberals. Although you might have expected Warren could have done that as well. Jim, um, Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren came next. Isn't that interesting? This notion that Buttigieg is a fit in the liberal category of the caucuses. Well, it, it, look, it, the, the the first
3: gay man to to, to really to to oh. really score is yeah. Yeah, that, that's that kind of that kind of
1: qualifies he you. It's something on different. That. What's yeah. that? He
4: campaigned on that. He had rainbow stickers at every event. It was not something that he was shy about. It was something that he put out front and center. And remember, Iowa is an early gay marriage state.
1: So, but. But do we really think that if you asked him if we were able to do an interview with him, Kevin, if you said, so, uh, Mayor Pete, uh, you're a liberal, aren't you? Do you think he would answer that? I mean, I think he'd hedge that, don't you? I think he has hedged it. I mean, yeah. that,
2: that's where yep. he has gone. And you got to believe that part of it is, especially with these younger voters, I mean, think about it. Over the past few weeks, everything they've heard about Biden, positions Biden as an Old line politician in a fight with Trump, somehow connected to things in the past, and Buddha is a fresh face to, to young people. I mean, that makes some sense.
1: All right, let's his, go ahead, Chris. You get
2: the
4: last word. Sign, I got
1: to get a break in, so go ahead okay. and you make your his, last statement. His
4: campaign sign on every podium he had was "Turn the Page," yeah. and I think it spoke very well to Iowa voters.
1: All right, um, let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way. When we come back, let's talk about what this meltdown in Iowa means about the future of Iowa as the first state to vote and whether caucuses are a thing of the past, uh, and this proves it. You're listening to Political Rewind.
0: Peter Sagel here. We here at Wait, Wait, Love, the Fox Theater in Atlanta and are delighted to be coming back. We would have done it sooner, but it's taken us four years to get into town from Marietta on I-75. Join us at the beautiful Fox Theater on Thursday, March 12th. You can also join us for a meet and greet after the show. Here's how. Go to gpb.org slash tickets. That's gpb.org slash tickets. And thanks. Support for GPB comes from generous listeners like you. And Cigna, urging people to take control of stress by having a plan, a period of time to unwind, a location to de-stress, an activity to enjoy, and a name of somebody to talk to. Cigna, together all the way. Learn more at Cigna.com slash take control. Does your busy life keep you from staying informed? GPB has you covered. You can listen live at gpbnews.org and on your smart home device. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at GPB News.
1: Uh, So during the break, by the way, Chris Grant is with us from Des Moines. He's waiting to get on a plane to head back to Atlanta and then down to um, Macon, where he is uh, the head of the political science department at Mercer University. Kevin Riley, editor of the AJC, Jim Galloway, the lead political writer at the AJC, all with us to talk Iowa. Jim, during the break... You you mentioned to us something that uh, your colleague Greg Bluestein just posted. I guess at ajc.com. Yeah, he's he's headed home, but he he sent this out on Twitter. Apparently,
3: uh, hashtag Caucus Chaos is a thing. But he, but he but he but he but he writes a woman at the Des Moines airport just leaned over to me. Just so you know, she said quietly, we are so embarrassed about what happened last <laughs> night. Republicans and Democrats,
1: we're all horrified.
3: <laughs> Did you Have you
1: heard similar sentiments, Chris?
4: Uh, yeah, they're, they're, we're going to drop by a store where I've got students right now that already have um, T-shirts up about, we can't count, we can't get it together. Um, the <laughs> register poll followed by the caucus results has just been a...
1: Embarrassing. This is, you you know, Kevin. This uh, that kind of comment sounds a little bit like back in the day, Natalie Main going on a stage in London with the uh, rest of uh, her band saying. we're embarrassed. We're from Texas, where George W. Bush is from, which had the Dixie Chicks banned from right, radio for many the, years.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I I don't think there's any way to look at it, no matter what side of the partisan divide you find yourself on. I mean, if you live in Iowa or you're active in Iowa politics, I mean, this is every four years the big moment. This and is this is a this is a
3: huge this is could be a huge economic hit. For, for the state, yeah. because they get, they get quite a bit of money out of this, starting with starting with the with with the with with the uh, state fair over in uh, in, in August. Yeah. So, uh, but here's how. But, but we've already. I mean, even last night we were watching Republicans try to take advantage of it. And this is a tweet that came from uh, Doug Collins, uh, the 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 Georgia congressman and now U.S. Senate candidate. Yep. He says, Des Moines Register poll and Iowa caucus. Itself hide their results under a quality control uh, control effort. Either the fix is in, or this group of lefty incompetence should not be handed the nuclear codes. Uh, th- it's this is this
2: is it's going to be that kind of a race, Chris. I didn't know that the a yep. uh, newspaper could get the nuclear codes. That's news to me. <laughs> yeah. That's news to me,
1: Chris. Uh, there are people who immediately when when we saw this and let's explain it just very very quickly um, the. The uh, precinct captains around the state, more than 1,600 precincts in the state of Iowa, uh, had troubles getting their results back to party headquarters. Some of them were trying to use a brand new app that the party had developed by a company called Shadow for people to report results. When that failed many people, they tried to call as a backup a, a number at Party Central. And, and some people report they were kept on hold for very long periods of time. And it, what happened was it all just collapsed, completely collapsed. And um, yep. so that's where this whole thing started. So uh, first of all, did you see anything like that where you were or did, you, did they seem to be dealing with their numbers pretty easily?
4: Here's the thing: at all the caucus sites, and we were we had students and other folks at, at two other caucus sites, much larger ones in Des Moines. Um, they really don't have a problem counting, and they have right. paper ballots to back up everything. Right. Where the tangle is is that the Democratic Party headquarters got an app. Evidently, they didn't test it at all, yeah. and they gave it to their, uh, local party, you know, county chair, or precinct chairs. And they were supposed to be able to report everything on it now every campaign out here uses apps for all of their technical stuff include and they and they're, many of them are um, buying them from the same company already bought them from um, but it's it, it is a mess in county I mean they're going to have accurate results in the end because you got all those precincts it's all you know none of this is secret all of it's done in the open all right all and right. so they've got all those paper ballots back up everything but, but I don't know why they can't count them.
1: But Jim, the first thing that many people thought of was, "Oh my gosh, are we talking about Russian interference? Are we talking about ballot insecurity again?" The, you know, we already have so little faith at this point in yep. our lives in the uh, integrity of a ballot, and this just makes and that's worse. where the danger is, and and
3: and and. You you are also seeing Republicans casting shade on, on on the result. Donald Trump is going to be doing what he did four years ago, and and until the until the day that he that he won, he was saying, "Oh, the system's rigged. The yeah. system's rigged."
1: Uh, it's 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 this is this is not going to be a pretty election, Kevin. The uh, we should point out the Democratic Party of Iowa immediately said there is nothing to suggest that there has been any interference from an outside party. This is our own. These are our own mechanisms. Oh, by the way. Uh, the New Hampshire Party is using the same company, Shadow, f- f- and their app to get their reports uh, from precincts all over the-, <laughs> the timing! The timing just
2: couldn't be worse because, I mean, let's face reality. Uh, we have, we had months and months and months of all these different things, these debates, these town halls, all this stuff. And at the moment when 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 the people who are finally going to express their will— this happens. All right,
1: let's do this. Um, Chris, I know you have to get off, and I've been very grateful you've been with us, because I know you want to get to your airplane to get back to Georgia. (laughs) Give us... I got to to New Hampshire on Friday, so it's it's exciting. All right, I I get it. I get it. Good for you. Uh, Give us a quick... Just give us a quick summation of uh, your experience in Iowa before we let you go. Uh,
4: I, I will say this over and over again. People in Iowa are incredibly gracious and kind and are generous with of spirit and have been very kind to our students and what have you. Um, I think they take this process immensely seriously and I think they really do weed through the candidates quite carefully at least the 16, percent of them that participate in the caucuses, And I think it's a process that's probably not going to be used
1: again. Well, Chris, thank you so much for uh, sharing some time with us today. We uh, look forward to talking to you again soon and have a great trip back to Georgia before you get on your next plane for New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take care. Uh, Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Galloway just pointed out, even as we're talking about the company, Shadow, that created this app, uh, CNN has a story up. Company behind App in Iowa apologizes for problems. I guess they're listening to the show. Yeah, and they will be doing this, this
3: a lot, a lot. Uh, and 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 I should just uh, d- to my Republican friends out there, don't get too cocky yeah. here, uh, because Georgia has thirty one thousand new voting machines that are going to get a first time tryout on March twenty fourth. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and, and isn't
2: then, the Secretary of State also pushing a bill that would not the audit wouldn't be on paper. I mean,
3: uh...
1: that's what is so. It, it, it's something worth talking it, it, about. It wouldn't yeah. be hand counted. we uh-huh. It won't even. It won't be hand. We will not see any paper trail in a recount. It'll go through the scanners again. The the um, uh, you are, what is the code called? Um, you know whatever that code is called. Um, and and. Kevin, one of the things that the Iowa Democrats can say with certain amount of pride, I guess, in the middle of all this, is they have a paper trail for every single ballot that was cast. At least they have that, and that's what we'll get reports on t- at five o'clock. And and because and because this was open,
3: there was no secret ballot right, here. Right. You can call the people up and say, "What did, you, we, we, when and where did you raise your hand, and who for whom?" Yeah,
1: I think it'll be interesting to see, Kevin, if this impact. You know, Raffensburgers it's just a proposal right now. It hasn't been vetted. It'll be interesting to see if the results in Iowa change some minds down to the Capitol about whether they do, in fact, need to see uh, tal- paper tallies uh, that came out of the, come out of these 31,000 well, new machines. As
2: Jim points out, I mean, I, I know that a lot of vetting was done and the process has been long and Raffensperger has a lot of confidence in it, but there. You get right down to it, 31,000 machines and all these, you know, being managed ultimately by every county in the state in every precinct. I mean, it's hard to believe that there wouldn't be at least a little trouble.
1: Yeah. All right. Let let me let's do this. Um, This morning uh, we had a panel that included uh, uh, Emory University's Andre Gillespie and georgia state university's political science uh, professor amy steigerwald one of the questions that we talked about this morning and that i want to ask you two to weigh in on was this question is to number one whether democrats uh, jim are going to give up on iowa as the first state and whether they're going to think about a different state some have suggested it should be georgia so that, that Nobody is saying that's going to happen, but, but people are talking that up. Let's, let's take a couple minutes uh, and listen to that part of the conversation from them. And then I really want to hear your thoughts on this.
5: I mean, Julian Castro from the beginning suggested that part of the problem is that it's, again, not a terribly representative state. Um, And the caucus system itself really sort of invites problems because the caucus system presumes you have a lot of time. You have a lot of resources. You don't work the swing shift. You don't need child care. You have hours to spend with your closest friends in a high school gymnasium. Um, It also presumes that you're okay with being public about your vote. It's one of the only things normally Mm -hmm. we have a secret ballot, and this is one which is terribly public. And so a lot of people also don't want to do that. Right? It brings out the most impassioned, but it doesn't necessarily bring out everyone who wants to have a say and be involved, especially if they're concerned about how they're going to be viewed in their communities. Georgia is more representative, honestly, of the country, right, not only of the Democratic Party, but really of the country, right? It's much more diverse. It's got more of, um, you know, more diversity on lots of issues, right, including, you know, what the topographically and geographically and all of these other types of things. And so there's a lot of reasons why it is disconcerting that two states which are not really representative, not only of the party, but of the country, get such disproportionate impact, especially given that they bring so few delegates to the whole mix. So it's not only that they get to go first and are just, right, just like not uh, matched up demographically, but also they really contribute almost nobody in the end final count.
6: So I'm going to defend the other side, sure. even though I, I, I see Amy's points, but I'm just going to throw this out here um, kind of to be devil's advocate. Um, one, I mean, part of the reason why uh, the tradition has sort of kept with the small states is that if we go to larger states, that means that the entry costs have just gone up for mm-hmm. lesser well-known mm-hmm. candidates. Um, and so if you can prove your medal in Iowa and New Hampshire, then that might actually give you the momentum and, the, and attract to be able to attract the resources to be able to go on. And, and, and it's going to be hard to find a small state that actually is demographically kind of representative of the United States. You know, I was just looking at this map. Um, of sort of like, you know, the electoral college uh, states, you know, one can make a case that Rhode Island might actually, as in terms of small states, might actually be more demographically kind of representative of the United States. It's got a higher Latino population. It's got more African-Americans. But uh, given its proximity to New Hampshire, if New Hampshire stays sort of, you know, sort of second in the mix, then why would we do two in New England? Like, that doesn't make sense. And a state like Georgia is just too big. Just the number of media markets you would have to compete in in this state would make it expensive and that might actually be too cost prohibitive the other thing is 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 that and while i agree and nobody has talked about the notion of adding like ranked choice voting because that would sort of be a way to kind of Mm -hmm. almost have a bit of the caucus process but without the deliberation is that there is this great deliberative Mm -hmm. sort of sort of experiment that's going on here that is actually more akin to town halls where you kind of try to persuade your your neighbors to vote for things i totally see your point no about people who are doing shift
1: work all right. Uh, we're not going to get into ranked choice voting today because it'll take some time to really explain it. So, Kevin, what do did, what did you think? Um, th- those are interesting arguments back and forth, the diversity of a state like Iowa. But again, the cost, you know, these are big media markets here in, in Georgia. When you want to reach people, you got to go to WSB TV and whatever. In Macon, you've got to do it. Savannah, you've got to do it. Uh, so it's interesting that diversity on one hand, but as Andra points out, uh, you take some people who don't have money out of the game right away.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I— it's just a question of whether this this long standing tradition of people will want to continue to honor it i think that uh, I, I mean i have to be honest i, I don't think it would be a good choice for georgia to go first i right. think georgia it will be way better off being a swing state, ultimately, than being the first primary
1: state. Uh, ever Democrats don't want to have to make this choice in 2024, Jim. They want to win the White House in 2020 <laughs> no. and have an uncontested uh, nominating process in 2024. I- exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but but I do think if,
3: you know, look... Uh, Joe Biden has run for president three times. He's never made it out of Iowa, yeah. and there's a reason for that. Yeah. Uh, so, 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 so there's that. Uh, I would say if, if, you're, if, if you're a Democrat, one more reason that, 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 you, that you, you, you might have an affinity for Iowa is it does uh, – you are trying to make the case that you are a general election candidate mm-hmm. and you can reach the kind of, uh, the, the, of uh, audience that Republicans also might be after. And and so so that first test, you know, do you, do you need two states like that? Maybe not. Right. Uh, maybe one test will, will, will do would do fine. Right.
2: Um, well, there's also that idea of doing the first four all on the same day. Yeah. That has come up on the show, and I think Andrea is a, a big fan of that. You yeah. Know, or, or at least I've heard her talk about it, and maybe that will ultimately be the solution. But I think we can agree. That whoever goes first ought to be able to count the ballots or the outcome or (laughs) report the outcome. Can we we reach a consensus on that?
1: Hey, let me – as long as you mention that, we're going to take a break in a minute. But it's interesting that for those of us in the media – and if you've been watching any of the news – cable news uh, outlets today, whether it's MSNBC, CNN, Fox, everybody is talking – using words like debacle, meltdown. I've used them in setting up the show – um, chaos, whatever. It, it's funny that 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 our panel this morning uh, was f- relatively blasé about this Iowa situation, saying we're going to have the results probably by the end of today. Let's move forward. I, I was interested in their perspective.
2: Well, I, I mean, I do think they're uh, – Amy and, and Andre are pretty wise uh, – and not they're non-media people, right? So they, I do think they look at it and know that in the end, I mean, how much of the Iowa Coxes is a media event? When I was watching last night, watching reporters chase people around... Mm. Uh, the gymnasiums and explain how this was all working. It got a little bit strange, and it, it is a media event. I mean, in the end, it yeah. Was... Yeah, but the
3: problem is that no results at 9 a.m. is different from no results at 5 p.m. or partial results are at 5 p.m. when your next contest has already started.
1: Absolutely,
3: absolutely. Well, plus you got a call to
2: write, right, Jim? And that. Oh uh, a...
3: yeah, yeah, but yeah, but I'm going in a different
1: direction. <laughs> uh, yeah. Key, uh, Mayor Bottoms has has helped me in that in that sense. <laughs> Thank you. We're going to talk about that. In just a minute, we're going to get to a break. But before we do, uh, Governor Kemp was on Scott Slade's morning show on AM seven fifty. You guys reported it in the jolt. Uh, he joked that he uh, expected that the Iowa Democratic Party was going to name Stacey Abrams the winner of the caucuses. Uh, and then Scott Slade asked him, "Well, what would you think about Georgia going first? And he said, "quote I think we can definitely handle it. I always felt like Georgia ought to have more influence just because we're a big state, very diverse." It has something for everyone on and I says the problem with caucuses is I know it's an age old tradition and people are very passionate about it. But it's also very flawed, as you can see right now. And he does make a point that it, it, it I, I've covered five Iowa caucuses. It's a gas to go to Iowa and watch democracy in action the way we talk about it. But it, there are questions as to whether it's time to retire the caucus system from the two major parties.
2: Yeah, I uh, I was smiling when I heard or I read uh, Governor Kemp's remarks because uh, you know the last election he was sort of at the center of the maelstrom, which is the word I'm I'm using today uh,
1: in terms of. Uh, all I the love contra- I love these ten dollars words that yeah, an editor pulls up.
2: I've got my, I, I've got my uh, Thesaurus app open yeah. over here on my phone, but uh, you know. If if Georgia steps into something like that, I mean, we'd better we'd better be ready. Yeah. I think it's that simple. But you're right.
3: I think just the, the the money issue, I think would would be a killer. It's not it's not just Atlanta. You 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 have to hit Chattano- Chattanooga. That's you have right. to hit Columbia, South Carolina, Savannah, uh, Tallahassee. Yep,
1: that's really in order,
3: in order to cover the whole state. Jacksonville.
1: Yep, that's exactly right. Let's do this. Let's take a break, and when we come back, I'm glad you teased it for us. There's an interesting development in uh, Raphael Warnock's efforts to uh, be the candidate of choice, the unity candidate for Democrats in Senate race number two. We'll talk about that and more when we return on Political Rewind in a moment.
0: On the next Fresh Air, White Collar Ambition and Addiction. We talk with journalist Eileen Zimmerman. Her memoir, Smacked, is about her ex-husband who was the father of her two children, a successful, wealthy lawyer, and secretly addicted to opioids and cocaine. We'll talk about why she was so clueless about his addiction and her guilt, grief, and anger after his death. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3, right here on GPB and gpbnews.org. Support for GPB comes from you, our listeners. And Georgia Power, whose employees are passionately committed to giving back to the communities they serve, which helps create a different kind of energy. Learn more at georgiapower.com community. And Bach Ascending, inviting the public to a new concert series celebrating the genius of Johann Sebastian Bach beginning Sunday, February 9th at 7.30 at the Lutheran Church of Ascension in Historic Savannah. More at bachascending.com.
1: Uh, One last comment before we move on to state news, Uh, and I think it's an important lesson for the Democrats to remember, for the Republicans, too, for that matter. 42 percent, Kevin, of Iowa caucus Democratic uh, caucus goers called health care the single most important issue. 21 percent said climate change, 18 percent income inequality. In 2018, Democrats got that message. They won the House largely because they understood that. This is a reminder to them as, to, that this is an issue they've got to hit up. And it is a reminder for Republicans. They better be careful how they play their cards with health care, too.
2: Uh, you're waiting for that, that uh, campaign sign that says it's health care, stupid.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's right. That's yeah.
2: exactly right,
1: Jim. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. and it's, it's, it's look, we've got a booming economy. And I've I've got to believe that health, the healthcare, the unpredictability of cost in in healthcare is one reason that people don't
1: really uh, they're not enjoying this 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 boost. Oh, good good point. All right, let's move on. Um, tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, we hope that we'll have complete results from Iowa, and our panel will be able to talk about what that meant. Um, but in the meantime, Jim, you all have a great item that you posted. Um, So Bluestein went to Davenport because he wanted to be with uh, Mayor Bottoms, where she was at, at a caucus site for Joe Biden. Right. And he did that, but he also got an interesting quote yeah, out of
3: her. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were we we had been talking about this over the weekend, and uh, and and he he found her at an elementary school and asked her about Raphael Warnock, the 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 pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, uh who is now a U.S. Senate candidate and was immediately endorsed last week by Stacey Abrams mm-hmm. and then by the, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, which yeah. is kind of the, the big fundraising arm. That doesn't happen all the time, all right? So uh, so, so Greg asked, uh, asked Mayor Bottoms uh, whether, she was, whether we could expect a, a, a Warnock endorsement anytime soon, and she said no. Yeah. She said she's waiting to see what uh, Michael Thurman does. And what it it does is – and I'll try to explain this later on uh, this evening – is that –
2: You're going to do a column on this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is where This will be in
3: the paper tomorrow. This will be in the paper tomorrow. I
2: mean, he'd probably have that column done if he wasn't on this show, Bill, but we caught him some slack. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But but you've got – okay, you've got –
3: Stacey Abrams has brought a new dynamic into into Georgia politics, and it, it and it lives outside of where we usually find Democratic influence outside the the big city, outside the mayoral office, outside of office office holders, whether in the state capitol or or anywhere else. And right now, what you have is a situation where these these major office holders aren't being consulted. Uh, the 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 big quote. It, 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 uh, Bottoms told told Greg that she wasn't involved in the DSCC decision to endorse Warnock, and then she then she says, "I didn't expect to be either." Now you, I don't think that that has happened since Maynard Jackson that somebody was been, mayor was, was cut that out that, of you, the that you cut out an, an Atlanta mayor out of a big decision like that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I was going to ask you so. I, part of that leads me to wonder is this just Keisha Bottoms feeling scorned in the initial process and not being willing to jump in quickly at least or given that you, she suggests Mike, she wants to hear what Mike Thurman does. Is she thinking Raphael Warnock? as Some Democrats think maybe have a history that's a little too liberal for the state of Georgia.
3: Well, and and that's the other thing is is that look the your, your normal candidate for 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 an African American candidate for a statewide office you know Thurber Baker would fit the mold. Yeah. Uh, uh, Michael Thurman certainly would. Keisha, Keisha Bottoms would fit yep. would fit the mold. Kind of a a a a, a, a centrist candidate, which yeah. which Warnock is not. Yeah. This is this goes to Abrams's base strategy and And, you know, in a way, it's 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 the mirror image of what of what uh, Doug Collins uh, is doing on the
2: on the Republican side. Yeah, so Jim, just I, I think I understand, but let me just ask to make sure I do, and that we're as clear as we can be with listeners. What you're saying is Stacey Abrams ran as an unabashed liberal. She did not try to hew to the center. She just said, "I am out here on the left." vote for me and came very close to winning. And you're saying that's where Warnock is. I'm I'm saying that Warnock is kind of a natural
3: outgrowth of that. Mm-hmm. But what you're seeing is 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 the, the influence of, of democratic politics operating outside of where it used to used to operate.
2: But it's the money,
3: right? Uh, it's, it's 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 that's that's a very large part of it. A lot of it is the decline in in, in party influence among both Republicans and de- Democrats. I mean, you can see it with Donald Trump on the Republican side in Georgia. It's it's Stacey Abrams. She 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 becomes the kingmaker here.
1: Yeah. Um, another way of saying it is that if we go all the way back to the Democratic gubernatorial primary, you had. Two candidates looking to think they had the formula for winning Georgia. You had Stacey Evans who believed that you could really reignite what used to be the Yellow Dog Democratic coalition. We you know, all the rural voters, all the people who believe in the basic conservative value, the conservative values of the Democratic Party. and Abrams staking out, we point out, this newer territory saying no. The map has changed. It is time to be a more progressive party to adopt progressive values, and she won by a wide margin because of it. But there are people who think that Warnock is to the left of that, based on his past positions. Oh, uh,
3: right, right, right. And 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 what's what's interesting here is you've got you've got uh, both Collins and and Warnock uh, uh, slash Abrams playing base politics. Right. The, the one the one person who still believes in the middle is Governor Brian Kemp. Who has put uh, Kelly Loeffler out there as a way to see if he can lure lure back uh, suburban white women? But but as long as Doug Collins is out there threatening threatening her right, uh, she she loses that advantage.
1: Yeah, there you go. That's where I think where we got to be careful. Here, Galloway very clearly, Brian Kemp's not. (laughs) <laughs> Kelly Leffler might be – Kelly Leffler could be a Sam Oldens Republican. I mean the Sam Oldens who was the chairman of the Cobb County Commission, who was very moderate, who knew how to build coalitions, who, who didn't get deeply involved in partisanship. But then when he ran for state office as attorney general, moved to the right. You know, Leffler could be that person, but we haven't seen it in anything publicly she's done. She's right in the Trump camp.
2: Well, yeah, and, and they're basically both trying to end up in that Trump camp is the way it looks. But i got to ask you this, Jim, because I've been curious, and I've wanted to ask you around the newsroom, but since we're on radio, why don't I ask you now? I mean, I I wonder about uh, Leffler and Collins. I mean, they're in a fight. I mean, they're in a tough fight. And Collins has won a lot of fights. I mean, yeah. he has won elections. He knows how to win. And so that roundhouse he threw this week, I mean— what did you really think of that?
1: This I mean, is the, the digital ad that he posted. Yeah. it was a digital ad.
3: It was it was aimed at Leffler, but it was also aimed aimed at Club for Growth because you have all, all these these packs that are going after Collins on behalf of Leffler, right, right, uh, and and on
1: behalf of 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 you know the, the the Senate Republicans in in D.C. Yeah, it takes a shot at Club for Growth, which has never been a fan of of Collins and is now actively trying to run but, him down in favor of. But Kelly what's what's, inter-
3: what's interesting if we can I know. We've, we're yeah, running we're short running on time. Really okay, short if you throw out the State of the Union, the people that 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 Collins and Leffler have invited to the State of the Union, Collins has in in uh, is bringing a fourth generation farmer. Yeah. Leffler is bringing a uh, uh, Linda uh, Herndon. Uh, she is she is the she is the RNC member f- from Georgia, very very big in sub- uh, in, in, in She owns a
1: clothing business, but right. very
3: very big among suburban women. Okay, perfect.
1: All right, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. As we run out of time today, you point out the State of the Union is tonight. Um, NPR will uh, uh, have it up for everybody to listen to. Uh, PBS as well. I just want to point out as we leave today a quote that I think is worth mentioning in terms of what kind of Trump is going to come into the U.S. House uh, and give his speech. Um, uh, uh, Katie Rogers uh, of The New York Times wrote an article about the speech, and she talked to uh, Hogan Gidley, a White House spokesman, about who writes the president's speeches. Here's what Gidley said. The president is a best-selling author and deeply gifted orator who packs arenas and has a meticulous and carefully honed method for writing his speeches, whether it be at a rally, a manufacturing plant opening, or the State of the Union, what the American people hear is 100 percent President Trump's own voice. I, we all know he has a speechwriter, but all I can say is if he gives the kind of uh, speech that he gives when he's at in front of his rallies, it's going to be a real barn burner tonight. <laughs> I, I wonder if he loads it into his teleprompter, yeah. too. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Jim Galloway and Kevin <laughs> Riley, thank you so much for joining us uh, for Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 9, I hope, with Results of Iowa. Bye-bye.